0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Rooted with Yams, the podcast where we talk about all things womanhood and sisterhood, where we have conversations that help us get rooted in who we are so that we can be the women of our dreams right now in the present. I'm really excited to start off the new year, this new decade with a very, very new type of episode today. We have an interview yeah said it an interview and it's filled with great information to help us live healthier lives with tips and suggestions research-based advice medical evidence just to help us live healthier lives and truly be the best that we can be and the most wholesome and the healthiest we can be, which is most important. So I'm really excited for you guys to learn from this interview and to hear this episode out. I hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, let's jump right in to this week's Rooted Conversation. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you, guys. I'm really excited for this episode. We have an amazing and incredible guest, Dr. Mary Claire Haver. And she is an obstetrician and gynecologist. And she practices in the Galveston area, the Houston area, for those of you who might not be familiar. And she's here specifically to talk about a diet she created called the Galveston Diet, but we really have a great opportunity to learn about um, different areas in women's health and just ways that we can be the healthiest we can be um, as young women and women through all stages of life. And so we have a professional here, an expert here to share some of her experiences and her practice and what this diet means to her and how it could be beneficial in our lives now and in our lives in the future. So, you guys, drum roll, please. Round of applause. Get your rattles out. Let's welcome Dr. Haver to the podcast today. Um, Dr. Haver is here and she will tell us a little bit about um, her background, her education background, her career, and what brought her to creating the Galveston Diet.
1: Well, thank you so much Cameo, for having me on. This is very exciting. Um, this is a different audience than I usually get to talk to. You guys are just in this incredible point in your lives of making career decisions, life decisions, you're kind of fresh and new at the beginning. So I love this opportunity to be able to share my experience, my background, and how I kind of got to where I am in life. Um, So I'm 51 years old, I'm a mom, I'm a doctor, Um, I'm also the creator and founder of The Galveston Diet. I actually um, have a very torturous path to get to where I'm at. I was a geologist, I um, have an undergrad, degree in geology and went to work for an oil company um, right out of college. And I quickly realized that that was not going to be my path. Um, But I had to figure out something else I felt significant to do with my life. Um, So I considered nursing and I considered medical school. I didn't know anything about medical school. So I bought one of those like the idiot's guide to getting into med school. Yes. Internet. That's how old I am. And so I just like page by page read through it, scheduled the MCAT, took it, realized I only needed organic chemistry in order to have all the prerequisites needed to get into med school. So I, I took that while I was working. It was then also that I met my husband, um, who was an engineer. He's still an engineer in the oil field. So I always laugh and say, well, I worked long enough to like, meet the man of my dreams, and then I quit to go to med school, mm. so um, I was lucky enough to do, you know, have good enough undergrad grades to get right into med school, awesome. and um, so I started LSU Medical School in 1994, I graduated in 98, fell in love with several aspects of medicine, but really felt pulled to OB-GYN. I did my residency in Galveston, Texas at the University of Texas Medical Branch, and mm. um, Finished there in 2002, moved to Houston into like a big private practice scenario in the West Houston Memorial area. Um, Practiced there for three years and then realized that big city life was not, my family was not thriving there. My husband was more than willing to make the commute back to Houston and I missed academics. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be back in a university environment. So my former chairman offered me a great position back in Galveston. Mm So in 2005, I moved my family back to Galveston, and my husband started commuting back up to Houston for his job. And uh, we've kind of been in and out of here ever since.
0: Wow. I was not expecting that. That is incredible and really inspiring because me, I'm pre-med, and um, my friends, a lot of us have very different paths, and when you're in college, like you feel so overwhelmed that at the idea of having a different path or an alternative route um so it's just so encouraging to see that you have made the most of your path and there's been just incredible valuable moments throughout the journey And so i think that speaks to all of us um, no matter where we are in life um, and and I also saw that you went back for your training as you started um, a veteran and in, uh, in the field of gynecology, and you were having patients come to you and in their menopausal years with difficulties losing weight and challenges in that area. You talk about how you always suggested the best advice. You know, weight uh, exercise. Um, change your diet, monitor your diet, and that's incredible advice, of course, but you also were very transparent and talked about your personal struggles and when you got to uh, closer to that time, and also um, you shared personal happening um, with your brother passing. I'm really sorry to hear that, but it was good to hear that the environment plus the hormonal, hormonal changes that was when you really, truly understood and what your patients were coming to you for. And you went back to school and did culinary medicine. So can you tell us a little bit about that part of the transition and journey as well? So
1: um, I, you, in OBGYN, you tend to age with your patients. Mm -hmm. So when you first start out, the bulk of what we do is obstetrics and younger patients, you know, keeping them from being pregnant when they don't want to be, helping them through glitches in their female health care, and then when they are pregnant, guiding them through, you know, nine months of care, and then giving them a baby at the end of the rainbow, (laughs) and so, um, and, you know, dealing with any mishaps along that way, and then as they age and stop, you know, finish childbearing, then you're aging with them, so, but, you know, occasionally I would have an older patient who would come in for a well-woman exam, and, I just remember, you know, being a deer in the headlights where where they come back, you know, in their forties, I'm gaining weight, you know, they're done having kids, I'm gaining weight, I don't understand what's happening, I'm doing everything the same, and I would just go back on my training, which was work out more, Mm -hmm. eat less, Mm -hmm. calorie count, eat, you know, and hit the gym, and they're like, I'm doing that, Mm -hmm. and it's not working, and literally a little glitch in my mind was saying... But you know, they're probably not really doing okay. it. They probably think they're doing it, but they're doing shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And so I would be like, Are you taking the stairs? Are you parking far mm-hmm. in the parking lot? Are you? And they would look at me like I was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they bring in food journals, and sure enough, their wow. calorie counts were good. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Why is this happening? So for years, I wrote them off, and we're like, mm-hmm. They're not trying hard enough. I don't understand what's going on because we just were never taught anything outside and definitely anything other than the very basic nutrition. So then here I am turning in my forties and, you know, throughout med school stress, you know, I wasn't a stress eater. I was a stress starver. Um, you know, I, I was able to maintain my weight, all of it effortlessly. You know, I was exercising and some, and then, you know, things get harder as we get older for Mm -hmm. everyone, no matter what your base metabolism is. Mm -hmm. And, then it was my turn. So combined with menopause changes, hormone changes, and the death of my brother, where I literally consoled myself with processed carbohydrates, you know, nightly ice cream, and, and topping that off with a glass of wine, um, I just fell off the deep end. I couldn't have any energy or desire to get out of bed, to go exercise. It was all I could do to get to work and be halfway nice to my family. And so at the end of that process, grief process, I was 20 pounds overweight, all in my middle, Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, time to hit the gym and count calories. Right. And I did all that and it didn't work.
0: Right. <laughs> and
1: I literally had this come to Jesus moment of, oh my God, I sound like my patients did. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I would get more angry and I would weigh myself every day and I would work out like a banshee. I was starving myself mm-hmm. and I'd lose a pound or two and then it would just come right back on. I'm like, okay you're smart, you're a scientist, You're and my husband's like, you're crazy. You know, he works for her sneeze, so he would leave for a month-long trip, and I'd be like, I'm going to be the wife you deserve when you get back. He's like, you're the wife I deserve now.
0: Oh, so More
1: sweet. i this is making you insane. You need to fix whatever is happening. Right. So I was like, oh, my God. So being a scientist, I hit the books. I walked over to the nutrition department at the university I was employed at, at the time, I'm no longer with them. I was like, "What is happening?" And they're like, "Look, the studies are done on 25 year old athletes, mm-hmm. astronauts, and old people, like elderly. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out where we're where we're meeting in the middle." So I was pulling studies, reading, calling people, looking at stuff, and there just wasn't a lot for women.
0: Yeah.
1: And and specifically for women going through midlife changes. Mm-hmm. So. When I like, did a deep dive into the data and a deep dive into aging and menopause and what is happening to our bodies, a common thing kept occurring, and it was inflammation. Mm-hmm. Inflammatory levels are going up, you know, um, just naturally part of the aging process. They're accelerated with the hormone changes. Mm-hmm. And this centripetal fat, the fat that we're gaining in our midsection, kind of different than when we were younger, mm-hmm. um, that itself is an inflammatory organ. That self so I'm like okay all right now I'm getting a handle on this I'm getting the why down what can we do about it so I started researching anti-inflammatory nutrition and like all of this stuff this world opened up and I'm like no one's telling us this mm-hmm. so I'm like all right I pulled and I looked at the fads and and you know people were having success with keto but really what was that all about so I wove all of that together and I came up with a program and this is all selfish this was for me okay <laughs> I just me so i put together a three-pronged you know program that incorporated intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and anti-inflammatory approach to nutrition as in filling ourselves with nutrition that fights inflammation naturally and taking away the things that we know cause inflammation
0: right
1: and added in shifting away from our addiction to sugar mm-hmm. okay which is highly inflammatory and put all that together in a program and then made meal plans and, and whatever, tried it on myself, everything melted away, like it, mm. like it was the easiest thing I'd ever done. And I was like, oh my God. So of course, my girlfriends are like, what are you doing? Right. Share.
0: Right.
1: I'm selfish. So I, w- I went, <laughs> we have an office depot down the street. So I went to the office depot and I was Xeroxing copies of my little program Aww. and I was handing it out to my girlfriends. And they're like, this is awesome. So then more people wanted to know. My colleagues wanted to know. I started giving it out to patients. And and then, like, I was building a, a Facebook. I had an online um, skincare business on Facebook. So I had a, fair, you know, a couple thousand people following. And so they wanted to know. They mm. had heard. It was just local. And so I was giving it out on Facebook. Then I started creating these Facebook groups for free. All just like, hey, do you want to try this program? Right. Help me. Give me feedback. So over about a year, I we ended up having about 1,500 people run through the Galveston Diet through Facebook groups. Wow. All volunteers, basically. I got so much feedback. I, I learned the way to parse out the information in a way that was a good cadence for people to understand it. And then, you know, it just started ballooning. And, and all of a sudden, I had thousands and thousands of followers who wanted mm-hmm. to know more about it. And I, I never thought about making it a business. Mm-hmm. And then I had some pretty savvy physicians who were like, this is a thing. Yeah, You are legitimate. You have worked so hard on this. You spent thousands of hours. I'm like, but I don't have a nutrition degree. Mm -hmm. And I started researching like, what can I do? I need more legitimacy. I want Mm -hmm. to learn more. I need someone who knows more than me to teach me. So I found the culinary medicine uh, program through Tulane University. And I was like, this is exactly what I need. So it was about a year and a half of coursework. It was 60 hours of like online coursework. Plus I had to fly to see, I had to go to a few conferences and do some lab work in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so it was fabulous. And then we had to pass a board exam. So now I'm board certified in, well, they're board, you know, I'm certified in culinary medicine. Mm -hmm. So I incorporated so much of that into the program, everything I learned there, and then took pit and market basically, developed an online program. You know, it's a one-time fee Mm -hmm. that people have lifetime access to the program and it's a series of videos. You know, I know adult learners learn through listening, through reading. Everybody kind of learns a little bit differently. So I have graphics, I have mm-hmm. written material, I have me talking, you know, so that I try to hit all learners. Mm-hmm. And it's been, we now have 23,000 students enrolled wow. in the program. And it has allowed me to leave my clinical position. I've just worked two days a month now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so no gentle, and I get to focus on Galveston diet, um, since then. wow that a very
0: answer. no <laughs> that was that was incredible and you you hit all the points and i think you really gave more background um to your testimony and to um the benefits of taking on this journey of the galveston diet and just even the components you listed um if someone doesn't dive fully into the program i think these are just incredible components that are oftentimes overlooked and not discussed in a lot of these, um, fad diets, like you said. Um, so I love how you talked about fuel refocusing, the anti-inflammation approach, and also the intermittent fasting. That, I think, if, that would be my personal biggest struggle, I feel. Um,
1: And everyone thinks that, I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, with with intermittent fasting, it is the scariest thing for people to consider Mm -hmm. because we were all brought up with breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We need to be eating small meals throughout the day. Actually, there's no data to support that. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the evolutionary history of how we ate, it's only in this last couple of generations that we actually eat the three meals a day. Mm This is new, and it's really just based upon industrialization and the food service industry and them trying to sell us to eat more Mm -hmm. um, so they make more money. And, I mean, all of that has just blown my mind. Yeah. You know, and having to rewire and rethink. So, but here's the kicker. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting ends up being the easiest part of the
0: program. Really? The
1: thing that you're most likely to conquer first and to stick with for the longest. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I've I've realized that there are a lot of business businesses at play when it comes to our health in general. Um, so I've tried to be more mindful of that um, in my lifestyle, my behavior, like just being really aware and sensitive to my body and saying like, okay, I know that I have needs and then I have wants and then I have to also consider what the society needs, like as far as money and business is concerned when I'm – thinking about my health. Um, but for intermittent fasting, uh, you talked about like in your videos, breakfast, it doesn't have to be the first thing in the in the morning. I know you followed the the sixteen eight pattern, right? And okay. And I this is something I've always wanted to try and I'm always so fearful Mostly because I stay up so late at night. And maybe it's school. I don't want to blame, like, my study schedule because I know I could be more disciplined in that as well. But just for people, I guess, even you, I, I'm i curious to know how you do it with not consistent hours sometimes, a busy schedule. You have a whole family, and, you, you know, not every day is perfect. And... um of course we have grace for ourselves, but in times where you might be at work all day or studying or on call, how how can you incorporate something like intermittent fasting in your into your lifestyle?
1: So I you have to think of it as you have a window where you eat and right now, mm-hmm. whatever you you have a window where you eat in your life and mm-hmm. you have a window where you don't eat. Okay. And none of us eat while we're sleeping. Right. So that is an eight-hour window right there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so to get to the 16, we basically, I tell people to think about it, you're adding four hours on before you go to bed, and you're adding four hours on after you wake up. So Mm -hmm. if you think of it that way. You really should be sleeping eight hours a day. Start with that. Make (laughs) sure you're getting your eight hours. (laughs) And so depending on your sleep schedule, it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't, you know... Most of us who have 9 to 5 jobs and, you know, get up around 6 in the morning, do somewhere 11 to noon and then stop eating by 8 or 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for me, in the evening, it was easy because our family ate dinner so early. We eat dinner at like 6 o'clock. Okay. So stopping eating by 8 p.m. was no big deal. And we're not, we don't eat dessert. We've never been a dessert family. We don't snack late into the night. It's not our MO. We eat a nice dinner and then we're done. So the evening part was no no problem for me but i ate first thing in the morning when i woke up or i had mm. coffee that was full of milk and or artificial creamer and artificial sweeteners mm-hmm. i don't do i just have black this is black okay.
0: goals uh, i'm trying to be like you
1: <laughs> so here's what i did i first transitioned to black coffee without changing my eating window
0: cuz okay. i knew
1: that would be a Because I used to travel with Equal in my purse, so that I had my own sweetener wherever we went. I had, I had to have it in my coffee. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, it was a mental Mm thing—like I can do this. First couple of weeks were tough. You're like choking on the coffee because you're so used (laughs) to it being laced with artificial colors and. But then, after a few weeks, it's okay. Yeah, and I don't even miss that stuff anymore. I don't even—it's not even a thing. I mean, it's been a few years now, but. You know, it took about three weeks for me to, like, embrace the black coffee. And then once I did that, I started pushing out my meal when I broke my fast with food, 30 minutes until it was comfortable. Okay. So I would go to work, you know, I'd 6 to 6.30. And then one time I could make it to 6.30. Then I'd 6.30 to 7. And then 7 to 7.30. And then I had to get in the car and drop the kids off and go to work. So then adding on 45 minutes to an hour was easy because mm-hmm. I was traveling or doing, you know, doctor or mom duty. then once I sat at my desk, I would watch the clock and, and I would just keep pushing that window out by 30 minutes until it was comfortable until it wasn't, I didn't feel hungry, you know? And then eventually I remember, I remember sitting at my desk or, you know, between patients and getting to noon and being like, I did it. I made it. I'm not dying. Yeah. I'm
0: okay. Yeah.
1: So, and then I would eat whenever I finished up clinic between, you know, we have a gap Mm -hmm. to eat and and catch up on notes or whatever. And, um, and then it just became natural. So, mm-hmm. so natural. So my key is, if you are a coffee or tea drinker in the morning and you've always had stuff in it, conquer that demon first. Okay. And you won't die. I promise. <laughs> it will be okay. I don't know. <laughs> Once you get that done, then work on the food part of okay. just pushing that window out. Do not try to do a sixteen eight from day one. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Now, the medical benefits, some people do a 5-2, which is five days of eat whatever you want, two days of extreme fast, the medical benefits are actually the same, the health benefits of that. But to me, I live a life based on habits. Mm-hmm. And we see the most change, the longest lasting change when you change your habits. Yeah. So incorporating a daily fast, I think builds a better habit, whether you're not like, oh, well, I was going to fast on Tuesday, but I've got something coming up when you push it to Wednesday. Right. We're just human. It's too hard to fail. It When you change your habits that is when you actually make lifelong change. Right. And so that's why I'm such a big fan of the, of the daily
0: fast. Okay. You've really broken it down to make it seem like it's very doable. And I believe it is. And I love how you said, you know, taking, just think about it, like two hours after you wake up, two hours before you go to sleep, that makes it so much more um, realistic and feels like I can do it more and it more achievable And I'm really, really going to train myself not to put creamer in my coffee. I go through seasons, like roller coasters, where I'm like, I'm not drinking coffee with creamer. I'm going to stop putting creamer, stop putting sugar, and then I just fall off. And it's been a roller coaster for like five years. I've been trying to train myself to drink black coffee. But um, as I've seen more of your videos and read more of the testimonials, I'm like, okay, I really want to incorporate Intermittent fasting into my lifestyle for my health now and then um for my health to come. I want to live as long as possible and the best quality of life. And I've seen as you said, and there's so much research, like you said, that just really praises intermittent fasting um as a way to take care of our bodies. So, thank you. Thank you for breaking it down for people like me who it's just really overwhelming just to think about it in a really big package. Um, I was wondering if you could define, maybe for someone who might not be too familiar, what anti inflammatory is, anti inflammation, what is inflammation in our body? I know uh, the pre meds listening, we were more familiar with the term, and then it's probably. The nutrition students even more familiar. What what is something you could say for maybe a general audience? What is inflammation? And how can we, why is it important to monitor that in our body and in our diets?
1: So there are two forms of inflammation in our body. One is acute, mm-hmm. and that is how our body responds to a foreign invader, a disease, stepping on a nail. You know when things get red and hot and swollen. When you have a cold, when you're sniffly and coughing, I mean, that is all your body's way to fight off disease or um, injury, okay? Mm-hmm. We need that process. It is normal. It allows us to return to a normal, healthy status or homeostasis um, quicker, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it hurts in the beginning, but when we're in pain, when we twist our ankle, it is because your body is not letting you use that ankle so it can heal, Right. okay? So that's acute inflammation. We need it. It's a normal process. There's something called Chronic inflammation, which is a big sneaky thing. And it often, when we have chronic inflammation, we don't feel it. Mm -hmm. It's a silent killer. And there are lots of things that cause chronic inflammation in our bodies. Um, Autoimmune disease is one. And so, if you suffer from hypothyroidism, you likely had some form of an autoimmune disease that attacked your thyroid. Type 1 diabetics, suffer from chronic inflammation of the pancreas that destroyed their pancreas basically. And now they can't make insulin, right? Um, We have degenerative arthritic conditions that you have this chronic inflammation in our joints um, that leads to complete destruction of our joints. This process goes on all over the body. It doesn't have to be autoimmune mediated. It's exquisitely sensitive to diet.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: There are things that we can put in our body that are natural Inflammation fighters, chronic mm-hmm. inflammation fighters. So things like um, fresh fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. are filled with phytochemicals um, like anthocyanins, which are the what gives us color in our fruits and veggies. Mm-hmm. Those are tremendously anti-inflammatory. They scavenge the. Um, so when I say scavenge, they they actually act like heat-seeking missiles, going around and grabbing in things that cause inflammation right. in our bodies. Um, they're wonderful. Also, fiber is a great anti-inflammatory. It binds things in our gut and colon that could be inflammatory and causes them to move through the gut faster mm-hmm. so that they're not sitting around causing more inflammation uh, to our colon cells. Right. And uh, so that's why people who have diets high full of fiber have decreased of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And so chronic inflammation is also one of the biggest causes of cancer, a biggest um I don't want to say cause because cancer is multifactorial, but it's, it's one of the leading contributors to your development of cancer. There are things that are added to food or taken away from food that are highly inflammatory. So let me take the innocent wheat kernel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, wheat has been used for millions of years to feed our populations. Um, it's just what we've done to wheat So we've stripped wheat um, in most commercially processed breads, cookies, cakes, crackers. um, They've taken this kind of awesome wheat kernel. They've stripped it of the fiber, okay? Um, Fiber, as I've talked about, is insanely healthful and Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory. They've also stripped it of the germ, which carries most of the micronutrients, the vitamins Mm -hmm. and the minerals. So Mm -hmm. all those things we need to make our body processes go well. Mm -hmm. They've left us with the endosperm, which is nothing but sugar. Yeah. Okay so we've taken this really kind of healthy thing, a whole grain, and we've taken stripped it away of all of the healthful things to make it sweeter mm. and more addictive. And so most white flour is processed. <laughs> they've taken away all the good stuff and those high let that high level of processed carbohydrate of sugar is actually highly inflammatory to our gut. When you look at the chronic inflammation levels, and you just give someone a load of either processed sugar or processed carbohydrates, and you look at their chronic inflammatory like blood levels, they go up dramatically after mm. a sugar meal. That's one of the biggest causes. The others are the artificial things that are added to our food that our gut recognizes as foreign, and it sets off the inflammation pathway. Mm. Artificial colors and artificial sweeteners are the biggest bad actors. So here we're, we're going to take this cookie. Okay, so we've, we've taken the wheat kernel, which is probably pretty healthy in moderation— we stripped it of all the good stuff. We've left nothing but sugar. And now, to make it more addictive to the human consumer, we're going to add some, some number five dye. Mm-hmm. We're going to add um, artificial uh, strawberry flavor. Mm-hmm. And here we have this gorgeous – oh, oh, we're going to add some preservatives, mm-hmm. which are also chemicals, to give it a longer shelf life so you can keep it on the shelf longer and, and buy it. Now we've added four or five things that are highly inflammatory to make it more addictive, more sellable, and um, more tasty – and make you want crave more, more addictive, and tremendously inflammatory. And it has almost zero nutritional value. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll add some vitamins back <laughs> to give it some fake nutritional value. Right. You know, we're gonna just take a vitamin and squish it up and that's sprinkle right. it on top. There you go, you got some riboflavin and some B4, B6 or something. Um, but that that's what's happening in the food industry.
0: Yeah.
1: And the FDA hasn't really caught up yet, you know, to start changing the rules and the laws, or at least educating the population as to how, you know, eat one cookie, you're fine. But it's it's the every, the cookie every day. The people who have the cookies on their shelves, the crackers, the cakes, the processed stuff. The other bad actor is all of these things are baked with corn oil mm-hmm. um, or soy oil, um, and those oils are heavily loaded with omega six, which is also highly inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I basically took a whole course in this stuff. I don't <laughs> want to make your readers, you know, go crazy. But, you know, besides having zero nutritional value, all of these processed um, goods have are loaded with things to make them more sellable, more yeah. addictive, which are also highly inflammatory.
0: Yeah. And I think um, something that's helpful f- to me when I'm wanting to incorporate healthier practices in my life is just to make it simple. And I think you've really done that um, when you talked about inflammation being just a natural response to foreign invaders. That that light bulb kind of just went off in my head because all those um, dyes that you talked about, a lot of these um, added sugars, sweeteners, preservatives, everything you talked about, they're literally foreign, our bodies, in foreign invaders. So that just, that simple idea um, could serve your average person as a guide. Like if you recognize this something you think your body will recognize. If if From not.
1: Or didn't have a mama, exactly, you know? <laughs>
0: exactly one or the other. So um, that simple concept I think is a good takeaway for someone who just wants maybe one thought or one sentence um, to guide them through the grocery store to guide them through their um, eating choices throughout. Any meal and any day. So, you you really broke it down. I know you didn't want to do too much, but I think you put it in a really applicable form. So thank you. And it it leads us to like your next big component of the Galveston diet, which is um, fuel refo- refocusing. I know that um, focuses mostly on the carbohydrate transition. So can you talk a little bit about that too? I want I want them to know, at like each of these components, how critical they are, um, not only to the Galveston diet, but just for just our health practices in general and our nutritional decisions in general.
1: Um, one of, you know, the fuel refocusing, we as a nation and the standard American diet, the traditional Western diet, are highly, um, it's highly loaded with processed carbs at Added sugars, Um, and then we're also addicted to it. We require more and more and more to get the same dopamine response in our brain. And I have, I also talk about how addictive it is. There are two or three articles that I've pulled and I have in the program that talk about how the mammal uh, studies show that it's more addictive than cocaine.
0: I believe it. You, know, yeah. you
1: get a higher, uh, brain response. They measured the brain waves when they mm-hmm. gave you know the rats cocaine or they gave them sugar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm not a huge fan of all animal testing, but this was pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, they showed uh, brain um, scans of people getting sugar and what that does to their brain mm-hmm. and how addictive it really is. So we address, you know, I feel like education is the key. If you mm-hmm. understand you know, at two in the morning when you're sitting there with a bag of cookies, you know, I, the voice I want you to hear is not me telling you not to do this. Right. The voice I want you to hear is me telling you why. Right. And you making that conscious decision because you understand how harmful this could be to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in the fuel refocus, we, we talk about the psychological component, the addiction, we work on mindset, and then we work on shifting our macros, which is you know, calorie counting just doesn't work for mm-hmm. most people long-term, which is why we're dealing with obesity in this country, mm-hmm. and instead of focusing on the quantity of food, we focus on the quality of food, gotcha. and just that simple shift and teaching people how to decrease the dependence and break the addiction to sugar is such a huge component yeah. and so powerful. They feel so much better. They sleep better. They, you know... Feel, they feel wonderful and
0: powerful that they've done this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. I think the why will always, always be more long-lasting than anything else in an education program. So, um, now that everyone is pretty familiar with the components of the diet, at least, um, I do have a few questions I have for you. And so I will just give them to you and then uh, I hope you can answer them to your best response, to your best ability. So, the first question I have is going back to your medical training and your in culinary medicine and traditional medicine. Um, Of course, you said you learned so much, and me, who study nutrition, and that kind of motivated me to go towards medicine, um, I'm curious to learn from you, how do you think these two trainings can overlap more or collaborate more um, on the traditional end um, of a medical training? And I know you've You've been in residency programs. You're an educator as well um, to medical students. So how do you see that this training you got in culinary medicine and just nutritional sciences, is that being more integrated in traditional medicine? And how, what do you expect to see, like, for the future in this area?
1: Um, so it depends on the school. Right. And, um, so Tulane which has the Gold Ring Center for Culinary Medicine incorporates the training into medical school. So mm. The medical students have to go to the kitchens and actually learn how to prepare food so that they can teach their patients eventually how to prepare food. Right. You know, it's and it address the psychological components and not just a carbohydrate has this many calories of fat grant you know, that's basically all the nutrition I learned. Right. And that what enzymes use what micronutrients right. you know, um, and what deficiencies would do. So I I think, and then like university, uh, UT San Antonio has a a test kitchen now. I mean, I think it's, it's coming. Mm -hmm. It's definitely still in the minority, but I do see a push. Um, It's just medicine. The training of medicine is so complex and there's so many rules and there's, you got to pass this exam and, and um, nutrition just kind of gets swept on the side. But I, I do see, because we're just failing as a nation in overall health that the the FDA is starting to wake up and you know the 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 National Association of Med Schools is starting to see that we need to focus on prevention
0: yeah
1: much much more than you know in my day and again I'm 20 something years out we just learned how to fix problems Mm -hmm. we didn't learn how to prevent them we learned a lot of pharmacology and what medications to give for what diseases Mm -hmm. and how what surgeries to do for what diseases but we learn very little, sadly, about, well, why don't we not have the disease? Like, right. what can we do to teach our patients to not get these diseases? They don't have to get sick, yeah. you know, and so many of them. There are things that we can do to avoid,
0: Yeah.
1: you know, these debilitating chronic diseases where their quality yeah. of life is terrible. We are all going to die, and I'm with you. I know I'm going to die one day, but for goodness sake, as I age, I'm going to have a good quality yes. of
0: life. Yes.
1: So after watching my grandparents and now my parents and my in-laws there's some tough things that they're having to face, yeah. and I'm like, "What? That's my genes out there. What right. can I do to, you know, decrease that risk as much as possible?" Right. And it's nutrition and movement. Yeah. Are the keys.
0: Yeah, and it's incredible to have you. It's incredible just to, to have you, like, as a credible source, as a physician, um, talking about the importance of, you know, nutrition and these preventative measures. And I think for us in the the audience, we can advocate for ourselves in that way. And, you know, as the two um, disciplines become more integrated and more emphasized in traditional medicine, um, I, I love that we have people like you and who will promote this and educate their patients and educate their platforms about the importance of preventative measures. So just even without a consultation from you, just hearing um, through your testimonies, your videos, um, this podcast, I think people will, that will spark someone, something in, some, in people that, you know, the nutrition component is important. Like I can't just go to my physician for my symptoms and think that, that medication is the one for all, you know? Um, so I think just your expression of that is going to spark something in just everyday people and seeing that motivation in other people will naturally, the the different agencies will get on board as well, I think. Um. So thank you. Thank you so much. Like I'm going to keep saying thank you because I just think your work is incredible and just the fact that you use... A personal, a personal time to just offer so much help to many thousands of people. Um, I'm so, so grateful for what you're doing, so thank you. <laughs> My next question is, okay, well, this was kind of uh, one of the first things that I was taken aback by uh, in learning about the Galveston Diet and your work. Reading some of the testimonies and your story, a common thread was how... Your clients and your patients were coming to you kind of insecure and, you know, feeling uh, depressed and anxiety because of weight gain. And to me, (laughs) I kind of always thought that was um, a struggle for, I don't know... Young adults still trying to like fit in or like find their place. I don't know. I just always imagine when I got to a certain place, I wouldn't care or something. I don't know what I thought, but um, by you sharing your story and just the struggles of other people, it shed light that some of these I want to say insecurities or struggles they don't they don't leave us. So my question is, what would be maybe some advice you would offer to women? dealing with weight loss and weight struggles through different stages of life. Um, I know most of your audience were in their upper ages, um, but we all have similar, uh, insecurities. The now that I'm learning, I thought one day these insecurities would just leave me. Um, <laughs> so what's some advice that you would give to people at different stages?
1: Um, So because people's weight struggles, there is a huge psychological component to all of it. You know, we use food to Mm -hmm. self-medicate. We use food to celebrate. We use food to show love. Mm -hmm. We use food in so many different ways. And, you know, we, one of the things that we do in our coaching groups, so we have the online program, which is self-study and, you know, but if you want to be in a community, we, we offer a community group thing as well and watching the interactions of these these accountability groups mm-hmm. and then people sharing their personal struggles whether it be anxiety or habits they've built over time or ways to deal with stress and just watching them give each other grace mm-hmm. and hold their hand and say it's okay i understand i've been through this too this is how i was taught to show love this is how i dealt with my anxiety this is how i and understanding that those type of things can change and that there is lots of love and support out there to help you grow and learn how to, um, deal with those anxieties or deal with the you know depression or deal with whatever in a, in a healthier way, right. um, a way that isn't going to sabotage your health. Um, that is just so powerful and it is a beautiful thing to watch mm-hmm. for me.
0: Okay. Thank you, and I was also wondering since you're pretty much like a specialist in women's health and all things woman, um, I was wondering how what are some components I guess you could say for different stages of life, just health components that are important at different stages of life. I know the major three components to the Galveston diet are great for all state for most most all stages. I know you talked about. Um, potentially working on a pediatric kind of plan, a pediatric program.
1: Well, I'm I'm not a pediatrician. Right. And I have to go back and train. So I'm actually working with a couple of pediatricians to develop a program that parents can, can utilize for their children. For their, their
0: kids. Oh, okay, right. So I'm just, um, since these components are, are great um, fundamental components, and we know now that as a woman, you your hormones are gonna really change in your different life stages and really um, affect your health and your response to medications, your response to everything, uh, medicine. So, what are some in your practice and your experiences? What are some components at different stages of life that are significant or most critical to a woman's health? For example, and as a young adult, as a teenager, during pregnancy, what are things that as we get through these stages that we should be most uh, conscious about in our health?
1: I think one of the biggest things that we do as a society, um, starting probably in adolescence and up, is we use our weight Mm -hmm. as an age of our health. Right and we we just look at that number on the scale to determine if we're healthy or not mm-hmm. and learning to look at non-scale things as a gauge of your health so so what i see is people with terrible habits that if they continue them into the long run will end up with horrific chronic disease but they're skinny right and they look at themselves in a pair of jeans and think i'm healthy and so being more cognizant and aware at Especially at a young age, of how to gauge if you're healthy or not and breaking that addiction to the scale or to that pair of denim, mm. um, it's going to go a long way in right. your long term health. So, how are you sleeping? How's your acne? You know, when my kids start complaining about a breakout, I'm like, are you eating 50% fresh fruits and vegetables? Or are you going to Whataburger? Mm. Whataburger is delicious, by the way. Uh, <laughs> drug of choice. Um, but you know, and I'm like, these things are not going to change because your nutrition is terrible. Right. And so, you know, how, how are you sleeping? You're too much caffeine. You're not, you know, you're not getting that eight hours. I mean, it's a reason we say eight hours is recommended. Mm-hmm. Your body needs that time to heal and reset. And if you're not giving it that, even though you're thin, you're setting yourself up for some very detrimental things in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your hair doing? Is it falling out? Is a breaking that's heavily nutrition based and mm-hmm. what we put on our hair too, as well. Mm-hmm. Cause I color mine quite a bit, <laughs> uh, you know, starting to, to address those issues, to look at our overall health and not just our weight. Certainly if you're obese, we need to address that. But, you know, just looking at your nutrition will take care of a huge amount of obesity mm. and all the other health benefits as well as, as well. So definitely, Teaching your body and teaching yourself about, I think, intermittent fasting and anti-inflammatory nutrition would be huge. I think for for any, I would start actually with the anti-inflammatory stuff. Really educating yourself. Why eating fast food once a day? What are you doing to yourself? What What are they putting in that stuff? The chemicals, you know, to make it more palatable, more attractive. Why doesn't Why can you leave McDonald's French fries out for a week and they don't mold? You know,
0: scary. <laughs> Yeah. And
1: so, um, you know, what preservatives are in there <laughs> to, yeah. you know, educating yourself that way, especially, you know, getting out of college when you're, when you're faced with tough time constraints and not having a lot of healthy food available. My daughter's dealing with that freshman in college right now. She's like, Mom, I'm looking at her debit card and there's a whole lot of visits. <laughs> Things that are giving her quick and easy, you know, access to food. And she's not super impressed with the choices in the cafeteria. And so we're having to develop strategies around her living in a dorm and having a meal card and trying to make the best choices for her with this insane schedule that she has as most of you guys do in college and grad Mm -hmm. school and med school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but it's possible, but you can't just take it for granted and go with the flow. This Mm -hmm. requires planning. It requires thought and you have to make it a priority. Nutrition has got to be a priority. And not just something you wing because you're going to fail. Right. When you wing
0: it. Yeah, I completely agree.
1: Much nutrition out there and the standard American diet, the status quo, is going to make you very unhappy in the long run. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. And it's difficult even for me as like I'm passionate about nutrition. It's what I studied. It's like my mom really. Um, really has been strict, not strict, but she's really health conscious herself. So I grew up in a household who promoted healthy eating and healthy lifestyle choices, but it's still sometimes just such a struggle, especially with, with school. Sometimes you just, you forget your priorities and we, I neglect that as a priority. But, um, I think this is a perfect time for you to be a feature on this podcast it's a new year and this is you know always a great theme to new year's resolutions and stuff but for me I know as I'm getting older one of my goals and one of my priorities is just to really have healthy habits that could last with me for the long haul and Um, I'm taking that much more seriously now than I did as an undergrad and definitely more seriously than I did in high school (laughs) and before that as well. I think for everyone listening, um, this is great advice. What were you going to say?
1: So when you look at some of the cognitive benefits of fasting, of intermittent fasting, for those of you in college and grad school and med school, let me tell you this. Um, You think better. I mean, there's multiple studies on this, on how when they do the intelligence testing or they do the mazes, Mm -hmm. um, when you're fasting, you're much, much, much better at that. Mm -hmm. You are going to sleep better, and you're going to study better. You're going to retain way more information if you practice intermittent fasting. I promise you're going to be smarter. And for anyone in school, (laughs) I highly, highly, highly recommend it, especially during crunch time with, with tests. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and look at Mark Matson's studies from um, NIH. It will blow you away. Mm-hmm. Um, just Google right now, neurocognition and fasting or you know, and it will absolutely blow your mind. I think it is a practice that is great for the long run and will definitely help you. Um, and when you look at the correlatives to they're treating ADD kids, um, the other is you should be heavily supplementing with omega-3. Mm-hmm. If while you're in this scholastic study, you know, brain's got to work well. Um, the ADD studies with the omega-3 supplementation are huge. I think we all have a little bit of ADD. Um, and so fasting and omega-3 are the way to go while you guys are in school. Because I know your audience is
0: a lot of students. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Y'all listen, take notes. I'm taking notes. I'm <laughs> so... Yeah, this is going to be a good year. I already feel it because of all this information. And it's just our responsibility now to to be serious about it and just do it. And I'm ready. I'm excited. <laughs> Excuse me. The next question I wanted to ask is kind of personal, I guess, because for me, at least, my immediate family and my household is very health conscious, like I said. However, uh, my extended family and I think a lot of African descendant children could, um, speak on this as well. Um, we see our aunts, grandparents, and some of the the cultural foods and the cultural just ways of life, um, is not really aligned with the health conscious desires we have for our family. And so when, you you talk a lot about your clients you've had who've come concerned, but I'm just wondering for maybe those that we're concerned about who might not have the same concerns for themselves, um, how do you speak to that audience, and how do you encourage um, that group of women who might not be concerned with the ingredients that come in a lot of our cultural dishes and... Uh, may not be concerned with their weight because it's just this is how we look (laughs) this is how we age you know so um that's been something that's uh been like near and dear to my heart and especially as I learn more about this I'm just like I love all this information but I have so many loved ones that I know just might not even listen to me or I don't know. So what, how have you approached that?
1: That's a one. Cause again, I come from a huge family. I have 50 something first cousins between my mom and my dad's side. Mm-hmm. So I definitely see all ranges and all I can do is be an example.
0: Yeah.
1: And teach my children, you know, if they ask me, I will talk ad nauseum, you know, and try to educate them and and answer their questions and and give them a framework. But, you know, it's an, you know, our weight is a huge, this is an emotional component. Um, People don't like to change, you know, it's not until something bad happens that they realize that they made mistakes. And so all you can do is just live your life, be an example, bring a healthy dish to the party, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have something to eat. And teach the people you're responsible for, your children, you know, cousins that will listen to you, nieces and nephews, you know, try to change the next generation. It's really hard to go back and undo 40, 50 years of conditioning and training and normalizing being obese, yeah. you know, that's just how we are. Yeah. That's I'm big bones, yeah. uh, you know, all of that. You can't, you got to pick your battles. And yeah. so you have to live your life as an example and they'll get curious and when they are you're ready to share
0: thank you so
1: then as they start transforming if they do you know then you can feel love and and inside and then others will get curious and want
0: to know more yeah thank you thank you that's always been like a concern of mine and just like well i don't know but thank you i think yeah just living your, our lives by example, that, that always I mean, speaks volumes. You know, my
1: brother who passed away was from really bad health choices, mm-hmm. and I had to love him through that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And that was hard. Yeah. That's probably why I went off the deep end when he passed away. Part of it, you know, was having to love him for who he was as he was, just by knowing he was killing himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and that's just part of life.
0: Yeah. And I guess if you don't mind, uh, talking a little bit more about this, um, just for, I know I have friends who have dealt with loss in the past or recently, and um, how how did you what were some strategies healthy strategies that you incorporated to 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 heal um, at the time that your brother passed and to also during your healing process be there your husband your kids and you know continue your various responsibilities that you have
1: um well with my first brother so I have three two brothers who passed away and one who has stage four cancer now I'm sorry. um I was nine years old when my first brother died and then with this next one um you know I was in I was in my late 40s when he died and um I did it wrong I would not do it that way again you know I compartmentalized I was like a robot going to work, a robot with my children, a ro- you know, trying to be there for him, driving to Louisiana to, 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 to the, the hospital, you know, and then being there through hospice and everything. And then when he passed away, like, all of those floodgates opening and just grief washing over me and um, the falling into horrible habits, going back to some old, you know, training. Um, now I have another brother who's dying of cancer right now. So. And... Um, taking all of that that I've learned and the program I created and what grew out of that grief, you know, into the Galveston diet, I'm handling this one a lot differently. You know, my relationship with him trying to, you know, enjoy it when he feels good and be there to celebrate the things with him. And then working through the emotions of it a lot better. Now, Mm -hmm. Um, I was in denial with the other one, this one, I'm, I'm accepting it. And trying to maximize our time with him and while he's feeling good and, and my kids and, and them watching me, realizing they were watching me the last time. And mm-hmm. I don't want them to repeat that behavior. And have them watch me do this with a little more grace maybe. I mean, he's still with us, so I'm not, you know, um, it's a miracle he's still alive and he's actually mm-hmm. doing really well. So okay. um, taking from that learning experience and, and when I feel the anxiety or the depression or the grief, starting to creep in, recognizing that early on and not just letting it, you know, going for a walk or or reading a book or hugging my kids or picking up the phone, you know, trying to incorporate some healthier behavior so that I don't fall back into those old habits of carbohydrates and
0: alcohol. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, thank you for sharing. And I know it's a challenging time for you, but we'll keep you lifted in our prayers and I do believe that you sharing this will be helpful to some people listening. So thank you sure. for sharing. And let me see. I had another question. Yes. So you talked about going back to the Galveston diet. You really emphasized taking your time in the diet. And, um, I love, I love how you just really made this simple and just a gracious experience, uh, a forgiving and gracious kind of diet program so could you share a little bit more about why it is so important to take your time and take fasting and baby steps and then the um, fuel refocusing and baby steps and all these things why is it important to take it in, in small steps especially because I think my generation and just the world we live in today patience is just a neglected virtue and everything is really fast paced. We want every, we want things to happen so quickly. And even when we know why it's important to take our time and we know that it will be better for the long run. Sometimes we just, it's just, it's just how we are now that we want things immediately. Um, so could you, I guess, reemphasize and tell us what you feel towards this patience <laughs> virtue.
1: I um, always tell students in the program, you have the rest of your life to figure this out. You don't have to do it today. Right. It's a huge lifestyle change for most, that trying to conquer all three of the components, you know, all of the mindset training, all of the emotional component of it, in one day, you're setting yourself up for failure. Remember, we've had tens of thousands of students go through the program, right. and I have interviewed so many of them coming out of the end of it, and the ones who've maintained and are successful, and like I'm constantly reaching out. How are you doing? What's going on? And so I've you know made a study of why is this working for them, and the ones that took their time and eased into it, and really took the time to review because I have so much articles and journals and videos that people who watched the videos, read the articles, really reflected, really took the time to incorporate the science mm-hmm. and try to understand it are so much more successful than those who did not. Right. And so, and, and that they just took their time. You have the rest of your life. Yeah. To figure that's this a out. good point. It's there tomorrow. The program's not going anywhere. That's you good. Know? Give yourself some grace. Get up. Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Just conquer one little thing. Try to get 1% better each day.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's, a, just, that's...
1: Just up your game by 1% each day. Just look at yourself. Where do you want to be in a year? Mm -hmm. you know when you look back at the beginning of 2019 where did you want to be at the beginning you know of 2020 right so where do you want to be in 2021 just focus on that and just take it one baby step at a time you're right i
0: i needed to hear it i couldn't have said it better myself and i think um this this episode i'm really excited for the change it's going to bring about in a lot of our listeners lives so thank you thank you for that I think I've asked you all of our questions. I have one more question, and then I'll give you an opportunity just to wrap up, promote yourself in any way you like to, um, and then we'll close. But my last question is, um, you you mentioned research, and the sample of most research being either mice, fit, young, healthy men, um, or a People in the geriatric community, so it's hard to to trust maybe that um, a medication or a diet has been tested specifically for your needs. So for someone who discusses with their their physician a treatment plan or a medication has prescribed to them, how could they, I guess, advocate for themselves and take initiative and just be better informed about their, their diet plan, whether it's your Galveston diet or any other diet plan or any other treatment plan, how can we be better advocates for ourselves? And until, you know, research, you know, catches up and becomes more inclusive, how can we make sure that treatment plans and medications are best fit for our needs? Of course, like, we have a trust in medicine and science and research, but... A lot of the comparisons between the study and the actual population, it's alarming to some people. So how can we, we just be better advocates for ourselves in that area?
1: I think the first thing is if, if it doesn't feel right, you need to start asking questions. Okay, And never, ever, ever be afraid to ask for an alternative plan. And so if a doctor, and that's how we were trained. So most doctors are going to jump right to their training and, and try for most diseases to give you a medication mm-hmm. okay that's the problem um what i'm trying to change the mindset of, of especially in menopause is did they talk to you about nutrition first before they handed you this hormone or this pill mm-hmm. like did you really get some evidence-based um evidence-based means research backed up mm-hmm. um information about how a lifestyle change would help you, you know, how changing your eating habits, how, you know, maybe let's try that for three to six months. And then before we start the medication, because you might not need it.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and there are, you know, the medications we give patients have pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Nothing is, is, you know, these are all chemicals. Right. And so, and, you know, I have medications that I take, you know, that I need for occasional, you know, I have fever blisters, and mm. so I've got my Valtrex mm-hmm. in the cabinet for when those pop up because mm-hmm. I don't like walking around with a big painful cold sore. And mm-hmm. if I can prevent that, I'm going to take the medication. I have Celebrex for occasional, and infl- you know, I work out every single day, and occasionally I overwork something, mm-hmm. and so I can't take regular ibuprofen, it tears my stomach up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a place for medications, out
0: right? There. Definitely,
1: but. Have you addressed the basic nutrition components first? Yeah. So that's always my advice to my students. I can't practice medicine on social media,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: is be willing to, to hold your doctor to a standard of talking about alternatives and maybe some lifestyle changes before jumping into a medication. Now I'm not talking things to treat acute inflammation or colds or viruses. You right. Know. I'm chronic disease. Right.
0: Right. We are clear yeah. on that. <laughs>
1: Oh, you need an antibiotic if you've got pneumonia. I'm not knocking that. Right. So I'm talking about chronic disease. Of course. Let's press the lifestyle changes and you may have to educate yourself first. Yeah. To help educate your own physician because, God bless them, they didn't get the training.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And this is, again, I said, uh, very beneficial to me. And I believe my friends and peers going into this field um, just going in with a different mindset, an open mindset, and um, really taking value in preventative care and preventative lifestyles. So um, I think this is all incredibly valuable. And I'm so grateful that you took the time out of your Friday to speak with me and to meet with me I'm so grateful and I know that this conversation is going to bless so many people's lives. So thank you so much. I'm very proud of you, if I can say that. And um, you have accomplished so much. Your story is inspiring and you're changing lives. And that's so cool. And I'm very, very, very proud of you. And I wish more blessings and multiplication for everything you're doing this new year. Yeah. So before we go, is there anything, of course, to everyone listening, her information, the website to the Galveston diet with, which is amazing, so easy to follow, so easy to navigate, has testimonies, um, has uh, the price of the incredible, incredible price plan uh, for something that will change your life. And so I'll leave the website in the episode notes. I also leave her Instagram Um, And the link to her YouTube. Um, The first video I watched is just the intro to the Galveston diet. So I'll leave that specific video linked in the episode notes. But is there anything you would like to share or promote uh, before we go?
1: Well, I'm just so grateful for the invitation to uh, come and talk all things Galveston diet and to have a chance to maybe change even more lives. I mean... I feel like this is, I've delivered thousands of babies. I've done thousands and thousands of well-woman exams and all of that is great stuff and very important, but I feel like this is where I'm meant to be at this part of my life and that I am, it's the greatest impact on, on women's health that I've ever made.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I believe you, you've been impacting and changing women's health. In everything and I aspire to be a gynecologist so I'm just I keep teasing ear to ear because I'm just like she's so cool <laughs> she's like superhero <laughs> so thank you so much I know this is going to be probably our most valuable episode in this Aww, podcast thank you. Yeah,
1: I'm excited to share it with my
0: followers yay so. thank you thank you so much um, again you guys we're going to insert a big old round of applause for Dr. Haver right here and um we will see you guys in the next segment in today's reflection point i want to just reflect on piece that dr haver emphasized in the interview and that was when it comes to starting a diet program or starting any goal in general just to take your time break it up into pieces and take baby steps be patient be gracious to your towards yourself. That is the only way that you can expect to be successful in whatever goal or whatever diet, whatever you plan you might have going into 2020. So, I really want us to take a moment and reflect, and use that as this week's reflection point as well. And uh, I know a lot of us have heard about smart goals. Um, My friend Alicia, fellow podcaster, also blogger and vlogger, she has a post or a video where she talks about SMART goals. I will also include that in the episode notes. But if you've heard of SMART goals before, it means that they are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-related. So let's Really focus on having smart goals as we set our New Year's resolutions, make our vision boards, and just anticipate all that 2020 has in store for us. I believe that that will help us be the best we can be right now in the present and really, really ensure that we meet all our goals, make all the changes we desire to make in this year of our Lord 2020. Finally, we've come to the last segment of the podcast. One of my faves, Gyne Shine. And I think it is quite obvious who our Guine Shine is going to go to today. The one and only Dr. Mary Claire Haver. Number one for coming on to my little old podcast over here, like, uh <gasps> me, little old me. I really believe it. Yes, she did that. And I was not nervous, obviously, as you guys could tell. But whatever. I'm getting better. I'm growing. I'm really grateful that she came on. Anyways, she is today's guy and shine for all she's done for women's health, for her contributions, for using her personal challenge her personal testimony to start something that can literally change lives so her components to the Galveston diet the main foundation that she talked about anti-inflammation intermittent fasting and fuel refocusing those three main components are essential that I think we should adapt ASAP Rocky um but other than that the diet in whole as a whole You guys will definitely check out the link below to see if it's something that will be helpful and beneficial to your specific needs. But Dr. Haver is an incredible uh, physician, an incredible practitioner and educator, and I do believe that we need more people like her who, when they realize something, they're not just selfish about how they help themselves, how they treat themselves, how they um, get themselves to the next level, but they're willing and open to share that with their community, to share that with the world in order to see change and improvement in the greater community. So that is why she's getting the guide shine today, and I hope we all can strive to be like her, to be game changers, to be problem solvers in society. So today's guide shine goes to our guest, Dr. Mary Claire Haver And that's it, you guys. You made it through the first episode of the new year. Happy new year. Please share this episode, like, leave a rating and your thoughts. You can rate on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Definitely comment. You guys can email me at rootedwithyams at gmail.com if you guys have any requests for episodes in the new year. Also, this is the episode to share with your mama dam. Literally, share it with your mothers, with your aunts, with your grandmothers anybody in your life who may be entering a season of menopause or that transition, this diet, the Galveston Diet, was created specifically for that woman and there's nothing else of its kind like this, it has been helpful to thousands of women in this transition. So I shared it with my mom immediately, because it's my greatest desire in life to see her happy, healthy, and strong. And any information, I find that will help her in that area and will help her just live a fuller life. I'm going to share it with my mother because I love her. So if you're listening and you're like, well, I'm not thinking about menopause or I never will, share it with somebody who is and who will. All right, that's all for today, you guys. Have a blessed week and I'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye.